This is Whitley Strieber, and this is Dreamland. You've reached the edge of the world. Welcome to Dreamland. This week's show is historic for a couple of reasons. The first one is that it's the first time that one of our subscriber video meetings has been aired in the public space on the site. And the reason we're doing it is the second reason that <laughs> it's so historic, and that is that it is with CIA officer Jim Semivan, who is also a close encounter witness and experiencer. It's the first time anyone in that particular position has opened themselves to the general public to answer questions. It's a remarkable discussion. You'll find that the questions are very sophisticated because the people in this experience have now been in it for a long time and they've been thinking about it very carefully, many of them, and very well. So you're not going to get a bunch of junk questions. You're going to get some very interesting, challenging questions. I think Jim was really impressed with the questions, as indeed I was, and I think you will be too. I think it's also a very enlightening show. And now I'd like to say something else. We are having many close encounter witnesses on Dreamland at the present time, the reason being the government has begun to finally admit that abductions are real. Uh, they have leaked papers indicating that they know this, that unexpected pregnancies are involved, that there have been injuries. And we are going to be on Dreamland exploring all aspects of this. We had John Martin a few weeks ago who has lovely experiences we had Dolly Saffron, who has close encounter experiences that she doesn't re regard as threatening. But that doesn't mean that we are on one side or another. We will also have close encounter witnesses and other people who have a much darker vision of this. And the reason is that this show is not about endorsements. It's about exploring ideas and experiences at the edge of reality. I try to remain as neutral as I can, to be welcoming to my guests, to encourage them to open up. The show doesn't challenge the guests. The show helps the guests give to you their own deepest thoughts about their experiences. And in this show today, that is certainly going to happen. It's going to be presented without commercial interruptions for the free side of the of the show and I do hope that it encourages you to subscribe to unknowncountry.com it is literally unique in the world there is no other place on the planet that this is happening and that is going to become more true as time goes on unknowncountry.com and dreamland are alone in what they do and they need all the support they can get. That's from the heart. Now, let's go to an absolutely remarkable discussion with Jim Semivan. Folks, uh, put your questions in the chat, which if you don't know, is at the bottom of the screen. There's a little button that says chat. And uh, I've opened up my chat window, so I'll see your questions as they come up. 
And why don't we do this, Jim? Why don't we talk a little bit about the release of documents that just took place that we were talking about before when, when we were chatting before, which is uh, documents about what, it, what is happening to people uh, uh, who have, uh, you know, they're talking suddenly about unexplained pregnancies and all kinds of dangerous uh, things happening to people. And, you know, I saw that in my life. I, I, I didn't have an unexplained pregnancy, but only because I'm male. My wife lost a baby, probably due to this. And we certainly had plenty of things happen that were clearly dangerous involving radioactivity. It killed one of our cats. So it's real. So where, what in the world? I guess here's my best, my first question. Why in the world didn't they tell us this 50 years ago? Why did we, why was the public left alone with this and told that it was all nonsense? I lived an entire life of being laughed at and bullied and disadvantaged. I can't even get a publisher anymore because I'm Whitley Strieber, the rectal probe man. Ha, ha, ha. Where are we going to yeah. go with this? Yeah. No, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I wish I had a, a cogent you know, answer for you. Um, the only thing I have is is what you know uh, what i've what i've read and 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 working in the government for so long it sounds absolutely uh sound to me i mean this whole idea of post world war 2 don't forget the government was a lot different back then um you know uh, when cia was formed in 47 and you know the military had a lot more power there was money flowing everywhere uh the military and the uh, the new uh, intelligence community plus the fbi they were used to wielding a lot of power and it wasn't um you know foreign to them to you know be able to threaten people over not talking um uh you know there weren't uh, miranda rights or anything like that so i think at the time you know the government got on the uh, a wrong track a, a very wrong track and you're and you're right i mean i sit we sit here now and uh, and you're sort of say how the hell could that have happened in our country but it did uh, and i think it did a great disservice to a lot of people a lot of uh, americans and a lot of people in, you know in other countries who uh were experiencers or who witnessed uh, uap activity i mean having Having had to gone through the process myself, I can tell you um, it's not easy. And and John uh, Ramirez is uh, I saw his lovely face here, and you know he could tell you the same thing. You 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 have to be very very careful about it. Um, one of the reasons we formed uh, our company at TTS, and I don't want to get into that too much, but was uh, you know a, a bunch of us got together, and after we had seen. A lot of the data, again, which is coming out now, some of the classified stuff won't come out. Hopefully it will come out and get declassified. But a lot of this stuff that you're seeing now was um, some of it was very sensitive. And, and so I'm sort of surprised that it's coming out. But one of the reasons we started um, doing this back in 2017, actually earlier, a little earlier than that was, uh, and I had uh, spoken to some very senior people in the agency and other three-letter agencies. And I told them we were doing this. And I said, if you have an issue, you better tell us now uh, because we're not going to release classified data, but we're, we are going to talk about this publicly because it needs to be discussed. 
And that's what we did. And surprisingly, uh, the only person that got any grief out of this was Lou, Lou Alessandro. And, um, uh, you know, and Lou was the real deal. Uh, you know, I, I, I met him a few years ago and, but he went through hell for the last couple uh, years with people claiming he wasn't who he said he was. And he was lying about the program and this and that. And I can tell you, I was in his office. I met his staff. Um, we talked a lot about this uh, together in the Pentagon. And um, so he's real and he's a good man and a very brave man to do what he did. But I wish I knew. I, I do know that the government was very, very worried uh, about the Soviet Union at the time. Our telecommunication systems were absolutely awful uh, in the country. Uh, they were worried about that. CIA and uh, the Air Force, I know, back in the day, uh, were worried that if they became interested in this, and trust me, they were very interested in this, but if they became interested in it, and, and I got to be known publicly, that would create and generate more panic and more interest. And, you know, that's just my understanding of it. I'm not making, I'm not defending it at all, because I don't think you can defend that uh, in today's, I mean, looking back on it now, I don't, I think it probably was a wrong move on their part. All right. Well, I can't hear you. Yeah. Sorry, I muted myself yeah, because no. Jim's Jim's audio was a little scratchy, and sometimes it, it helps. Uh, indeed, that's that's a, the case. But at the same time, you have probably, quite possibly, millions of people—a whole, not just this country, but a whole world—that is being not touched by this, but intimately engaged by this at, at, at the deepest possible level, uh, sexually, intellectually, emotionally, at every level. Now, let's get to some of the questions. And, you know, I, I, I have known that there was official interest in this almost from the beginning, because a CIA officer used to come to our cabin and spend time with us. And he didn't tell us, he never said, we know about this, but it was implicit in the fact that he was even there. He was a very sweet guy and a lovely man. And, uh, uh, but at the same time, he was keeping his secrets and we did not know what might happen to us. And had we known, I, I'm not so sure that we could have done anything about it, but it would have been nice to know how provocative this is. And I know you were in exactly the same position, Jim, when these showed up in your house, you had no idea this was even possible. You were, in, you were not in and all. And then this extraordinary, extraordinarily provocative thing happened to you. And, mm -hmm. uh, and, and you were outside of that community. You had no idea that there was such a thing as an inside until you, until you finally made enough noise about what had happened to you that they took you in and gave you the long briefing which is, I, I've never had the long briefing, but I've known enough about it, having gleaned information from others who have had it. To, no, it's quite a, quite a shocking briefing. And there's no one here who would not know everything that's in that briefing. I, I, it's, it's exactly right. I mean, you know, when people say to me, like, well, why can't you say what's in it? I say, you already know what's in it. Everybody knows what's in it. It's just, it's just people in power basically telling you, yeah, it's all true. And yeah, 
um, yeah. you know, we have documentation on it, and, and this is this is how it occurred. The, um, the thing so. that they they can't say is that the abductions happen, and they are often very very difficult for the people that are involved, and there's nothing whatsoever that can be done about it. Nothing. That that's yeah. what they don't want to say, basically. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think it's a it's a bridge too far. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I don't uh, my experience. I don't call it an induction. I, I call it an experience because, frankly, uh, I, I'm of the uh, I follow the Jean Keel, Jacques Vallée, uh, Whitley Strieber school, um, and um, I don't know enough about what happened. And I know there's a trickster element to uh, and a deceit, very deceitful element to all of this. Um, uh, I, I'm not a big follower of Stephen Greer, you know, his idea of, you know, these entities are, are, are peaceful and friendly. They, they could very well be, uh, but in my experience and what I've seen, um, they can also be, uh, uh, very dangerous. The universe is too big for them to all be peaceful and friendly. In fact. If we went, if we just our just the people of Earth went to another planet, we would not all be peaceful and friendly either. Yeah. I mean, and, and we're just one planet. They, right. they would get every kind of. If we could all go to another planet, uh, just with certain stipulations about our not revealing ourselves, a few simple rules, which appears to be only the only thing that's applied here, we would do everything. We would, we would teach them. We would be their space brothers. We would rape them. We would steal from them. We would steal them. We would do all kinds of things to them. I mean, and, and if you think that, oh, well, that's not true. Just a few generations ago, look, ask the Native Americans what we did to them. And, yeah, and, right. You know, so we, we are dangerous. And so, and so when someone tells me, that, well, they're not dangerous, I say, well, wait a minute. Let's discuss this very carefully before we make any decisions. But let's get to the questions. Okay, I have been annoyed with former military and intelligence people coming forward with these new revelations after they have denigrated others or ignored everyday people for years. How does Mr. Semivan respond to this? And will our government ever begin serious investigation of cases not reported by intelligence, military, or government officials? And of course, Jim wasn't involved. He, he This came to him in the form of beings in his living in his bedroom in the middle of the night he wasn't he wasn't told anything before that so bear that in mind but but what's your response to that yeah i think it was i think it's a wonderful question and and i you know i i don't know i mean i don't know i mean i have obviously we know why we know why the government said what they said they were either trying to protect something uh, uh, and there was also, I think, a, a very mean streak and very mean element coming through all of this. And you have hundreds of thousands of American citizens basically telling you they've seen something or they had an encounter with something, deliberately ignoring that and deliberately basically making, out them, making them out to be crazy. And this is not only the government, this was the media that was involved in this. I mean, that really is unconscionable. And, and um, you know, and of course, back in the day, I mean, I... You know, you see little stories about this and, you you know, you sort of look at all and say, yeah, I mean, what are you going to do? You just didn't pay much attention to it. But I think I think in the future, and particularly when more and more of this comes out, uh, you're going to see more attention being paid to this and uh, more people 
that have had these encounters um, uh, are going to get a lot more credibility. Listen, when, when the Gillibrand Amendment came out and and the two stipulations in there were, were one of them was psychological and one was biological, that was very uh, um, um, uh, potent and it was deliberate on her part because when these senators and congressmen got briefed, they didn't get briefed just on the nuts and bolts of this. They got briefed on everything that was associated with this. All the anomalies that were associated with this, um, with this, uh, you know, with the UAP and 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 literally how small the UAP element in general is with this uh, uh, this whole phenomena. Because we we refer to it, at least the group I I pal with, refer to it as the phenomena, and refer to it as almost everything psychic that you could possibly imagine. I believe, like John Alexander believes, and I think many of us believe, this is all interconnected in some way. We don't quite know what it means. Um, we see the UAP, and everybody thinks of, you know, at least the general public seems to think of, you know, ET. They, they see these movies as Hollywood versions, but it's nothing like that. It's absolutely nothing like that. This is uh, an extraordinarily complex uh, uh, phenomenon. And it's been around as far as history has been written and probably prehistory. Uh, and we just have, it's just another form of reality that we have, really have to come to grips with. And I think the government is finally going to do that. Now, I will only say this, this too. Don't expect too much out of them. They're looking at this from a national security perspective. They're never going to look at this the way we want them to look. I would want them to look, look at this. I made the point very, very um, strongly uh, that we need a private organization uh, not run by CIA, even CIA, you know, people like me, I don't want anything, I wouldn't want to have anything to do with it, maybe consult to it if it's possible. But you want academicians, you want religious people, you want psychological people, it's like psychologists, uh, cultural anthropologists, you want, uh, uh, you want teachers, you want experiencers. And then you want to have self-sustaining funding and no quarterly reports and no promises will get you an answer in six months or six years. You may not get answers, but it needs to be looked at. It needs to be transparent and it needs to basically include everybody. And, and that means it needs to include foreigners, it needs to include you know, anybody who's had an experience that can contribute to this. Now, there is a national security element to this. And I apologize for going on too long, and I'll cut this short in a second. No, no, that's quite fine. Go ahead. Yeah, but 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 one of the reasons why the government is still not opening their books on this is because they know very well that this is real. But what they also know is that everybody worth their salt, any government, the Russians, the Chinese, the French, everybody, they're trying to basically reverse engineer these technologies. And um, I remember Steve Justice, you know, part of TTSA. And when I sat him down, you know, we were looking at these films together and going over. And he said, first, first thing out of his mouth, here's an engineer. You know, he was a, a skeptic or not a skeptic. He's more of an agnostic at the time. First thing out of his mouth was, I want to build that. I, I want to build that. And it's exactly what's going on with foreign governments right now. They want to reverse engineer these things, even if they don't have them physically. They can extrapolate and they can figure out, you know, basically how these might work. That's would give them any, any country an extraordinary advantage over another one. So that's why it's a national security issue. That's why you may not hear the Air Force or CIA or anybody else coming out with this, because it's just part of a program, I'm sure, somewhere in the bowels of the government that are trying to get to the bottom of this. But I will also guarantee you, 
there's just no way they know what the hell this is. This is just so incredibly complex. And I'll shut up. Well, yeah, it is. It it is indeed, and um, we have, for example, we have no technology that reaches the world of the soul, which you were talking and I were talking about earlier, just briefly. Yeah. And without that, we can't understand their propulsion system. We'll never understand it. Uh, that is an essential part of it, and that's beginning to surface a little bit. Uh, we have coming up on Dreamland a, a lady who has been close enough to the visitors to have experienced this directly and a few other people have too and she'll talk about what her experience of it was but at least outside of the hidden world the secret community we have a long way to go to even realize that there is an aspect of the human body that we don't understand but that they do understand and that is probably the main reason they're even here. Uh, oh, here's one. It's, it, this interests me, as you know, because I've, we've e talked about it and emailed about it. Since the interview last week, has Jim Semivan spoken to Lou Elizondo about why he won't talk to Whitley? Do you have any idea? <laughs> no, I don't know. And I actually have sent Lou uh, an email. And um, I know he's been traveling and he hasn't gotten back to me yet. Um, uh, he's incredibly busy, as you know. He's under a deadline. He's putting out a new book. My understanding, he has a, a lot of the projects going on. I know he likes Whitley, uh, uh, as we all do. Um, Whitley is somebody that um, uh, everybody uh, has looked up to in the community. I, I get a big kick out of this because, you know, when, you know, we have a, an informal group of people, at least when I was in the government, we had an informal group of people that were talking about this. And you don't always hear the name Whitley Strieber and, and Robert Hastings and, and, and uh, Jacques Vallée. And there's so many. I mean, Richard Golan. And, and, and they spoke about them uh, rever reverentially because, I mean, in a way, these are the pioneers, right? And everybody knows that. And everybody knew what they were talking about was real. So, uh, but, uh, you know, I, right now, I think there's still a lot of people, and including myself, it wasn't, uh, I, it wasn't until I had a conversation with Whitley out at a conference he had in December where I first met him and, uh, and uh, he, we sat down and he, he just sort of opened my eyes a little bit and said, you know, you might want to, you might want to open up more about this. It would be helpful <laughs> or something along those lines. And, and it sort of hit me over the head. And the next thing George Knapp hit me, you know, and then, then I'm talking on his show. And then my buddy, John Ramirez also, and I chatted and, and I know John was going to go talk more openly about this himself. So, you know, um, uh, it wasn't that I was a coward. It was just like I'm used to living. I was just living a quiet life. I'm not uh, an affable guy, but I'm also a little introverted. And and I uh, I didn't feel I could add to the conversation. But um, but I'm glad to be here. And and, and now that I have done this a few times, um, I don't mind an answering questions to the best of my ability. But but I'll talk to Lou again. I'll, I'll get a hold of him. We all, we're all, we're always in touch with everybody, Chris Mellon and all ourselves. We're all go Hal put off and Kit and everybody. So, yeah, Hal is one of one I've always wished would would interview, but I've asked him many times, and he's <laughs> I'm not alone. And he's he's yeah he, he generally a, shies away from that like I he do. Does. He, he, he does. He does. He did George Knapp show, but it was he, you know push him a little bit. Yeah, it was yeah, but he did George Knapp show. George, I, I don't think, well, he didn't say much. Let me put it that way. 
There's right. a lot more to Hal could say. That, and maybe one day will come when Hal starts to open up. I hope so. He's, yeah. he's, a, he's a brilliant man and a wonderful man. And he's not, as I pointed out to him the last time I saw him, none of us are getting any younger, Hal. So, you know, don't walk off with this. Uh, uh, yeah, we've had uh, that discussion. <laughs> here's a, a one. Is it possible, and I'll try to get as, to as many questions as I can, of course, they're all great questions. Uh, is it possible the 75 to 80 year veil of secrecy is more a function of bureaucratic habit? The policy is perpetuated year after year that because the insiders have not yet figured out what the phenomenon is. That, that, that is a great question. And yeah. my, my, I think my, my uh, unqualified answer to that is yes. Um, uh, there's a, a folklore, uh, I mean, a cultural anthropologist uh, or sociologist, I can't remember, is David Huffer, and, you know, he, he coined the term tradition of disbelief. And uh, essentially what all that means is that after a certain amount of time, it could be five years, 10 years, 15 years, you get used to doing a different, different, I mean, the same thing over and over. Oh, UFOs, oh, everybody's crazy believes in UFOs. So the media picks up on that, one generation to the next pick up on that. And it's the same as in a bureaucracy either. That's why bureaucracies are very, very hard to steer. And, um, uh, you know, if, you know, every time there's, uh, I remember even in CIA, we had all these new changes we wanted to do. And it was like pulling teeth because a lot of people just didn't want to do it. They were used to things a certain way. So, yes, there is such a thing. And it's very, very real. This inertia, and particularly government bureaucracy, but it exists in everything. It exists in the media uh, and almost, you know, any occupation. So, yes, I think that's exactly what it is. And, and that's exactly one of the reasons why Chris Mellon, myself, Lou, Tom DeLong, who actually pulled it all together, uh, you know, to think that a rock star, uh, you know, um, who had just a, you know, a very, very strong uh, interest in this. Uh, boy, I'll tell you, that guy's got a dog with a bone. He will not let this go. He would make phone calls. He had more people. He was talking to about this and he was shaking, shaking things up. And, and, and it wasn't until, you know, we I found out that some of his well, two of them, when the emails got leaked and you knew he was meeting with Podesta and General McCaslin and some other ones. These were very senior people, particularly McCaslin. And uh, and then I found out later on, although Tom has never told me who these guys are, I figured out who two or three of them were on my own and uh, very, very senior people. And they were taking him into his confidence. They didn't classified with them, but nevertheless, they were there. But yes, once that got shook up a little bit and people felt comfortable, and like I said, when I bring some three-letter agencies on, it's at very senior levels, um, all of them said got speed, you know, let us know. And it was very clear that many of them didn't know anything about this. And then it was also very clear that a few did. Uh, so they wanted out too. Everybody wants it out. And my contacts back in the government that are still there, these are younger officers, are always emailing me and telling me, you know, we have our own groups. We're trying to get this thing moving. So you're going to see in the coming coming years, I mean, uh, you know, Whitley and I are older, but, but in the coming years, you're going to see more and more of this coming up. It has to. It just has to. And cat's out of the bag. I've said that before. Yeah. And, and we're going to have to, we're going to have to learn how to deal with it. I um, mentioned to Jim before we we 
went on that we're going to have a, a, a man called Charles Upton on Dreamland soon. And Charles is a, uh, a, a, I would say, a very highly evolved Christian. That's his, where he comes from. And remember that when I have someone on my show, I'm not endorsing them. I'm questioning them. I'm asking them what they think. So it's, but I think his, his take on it is that this is basically demonic in nature. And so much of it is so dark. You have to really consider the idea that it might be a really hard experience to, to deal with if it, as the public awareness intersects with what's hidden now. In other words, we just saw last week uh, or earlier this week, really documents coming out about the fact that the, the close proximity has caused pregnancies to occur and people have been injured, et cetera, and so forth. But that's only the tip of the iceberg. There's much more beyond that, much, much more uh, that hasn't come out. And, yeah. and when, can I just add, add something in here really quickly? It gets back to the last question. And Whitley, I'm glad you brought it up about Mr. Upton. There, you know, there is always a possibility that what we're dealing with here, you know, a small possibility, I think, that this is something what you would classify as demonic. Okay. Well, I but, think it's a small possibility too. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah. So I don't want to discount that, but at the same time, and this goes back to the bureaucracy. There were a group of people in the Pentagon and some other three other agencies that were very devout. Uh, Christians who viewed this as demonic. They were also in a position uh, to determine whether funding, you know, went in or, or didn't go into certain programs. Um, it wasn't in those, until those persons actually retired, and that was relatively recently. Um, and I knew them, and uh, that things opened up a little bit, uh, and that we were able to do what we were able to do. Uh, uh, and things things are opening up. So, yeah, that's also part of the problem. So some people think, oh, it's a great conspiracy. Well, sometimes it's just human beings, you know, and it gets political. And, uh, and like I said, this, this tradition of belief gets handed down. Of course, we can't talk about UFOs. Everybody knows that's crazy. Uh, and, and unless you were an experiencer, you know, uh, that wasn't true. But I will tell you, there were a lot of senior people in the government that were experiencers. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I know. A, yeah, and Whitley knows this. I'm, I'm part of a program. Uh, I think a kid came out with this in the Daily Mail the other day. 300 people there being studied. Well, a lot of them were, were and still are very senior in the government, and we've all had experiences. And uh, it's not. Um, I mean, it's very serious. A lot of people have died. Um, it's just very serious. Anyway. Yeah, they were. They because it. This thing, it, it's, it's very penetrating. It's penetrating us sexually, spiritually, intellectually, emotionally, physically, uh, in, at every level. And it includes penetrating our official levels and our official circuits. So, you know, when you, when you talk to people that are high up in the, in the, especially in the, in the military and in the, secret parts of the government, you're liable to be talking to someone who's had experiences because uh, they, 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 those are the people who have been most directly affected. 
Now let's let me go uh, to uh, another kind of question. The Council of Elohim, gods, were in disagreement about how to create and what to do with humans. Are the various factions playing a game with different countries? Now this this comes from a a, a slightly different mindset, right. but the question of are the various factions in are there factions do you think and are they in other words are the russians having a different experience than we are the chinese or the french or the english yeah well uh, yeah another good question the answer is you know i i just don't know i mean i, I we i've never heard anything officially about that at all and if you ask me in my personal opinion uh, could that be the case? Yeah, it could very well be the case. I mean, what we don't know is uh, what, what Valet, Jacques Valet calls the, you know, the control mechanism. Or does a control me- mechanism constitute um, uh, you know, some type of uh, group of spiritual beings? You can call them Elohim. Um, uh, there are other names for them. Each, each religion, as you know, you know, each major religion, even my religions always have these stories associated with them of the gods coming down um, and, um, and basically playing around with, 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 uh, uh, with uh, humans. Uh, you know, the, uh, in, during the Arabian Peninsula, people know about the jinn. Uh, Whitley and I were talking about them earlier you know, known for screwing around with people and, and having fun with them, uh, you know, at our expense. Uh, or it could be something much more serious. Uh, now, if you take that viewpoint, what you're basically creating is a sort of existential drama, right? Because essentially what you're saying is, uh, and again, I may be true, what you're saying is, you know, there is a controlling mechanism. That controlling mechanism is a group of, you know, beings, uh, entities that basically dictate uh, the human drama. Uh, it's probably one of the biggest things I have, I have the hardest time with. It comes down to sovereignty, comes down to who we are, it comes down to free will. And this is one of the things that the UAP task force is going to have to deal with. Uh, You can't look into this topic without getting into these questions. And it, it just smacks you right in the face. It's not a question of how fast these things, these UAPs can go. It's a question of, are they even real? Do they exist? Uh, they exist in what we think. You know, it, I mean, these are resembles anything close to our physics. These things can materialize and dematerialize at will. They can do things that no human can do. There couldn't be any pilot, human pilots. Human pilots can take at the most 13.5 Gs, right? Uh, these things go 40, 50, 80 Gs when they make these right-hand turns. It just... It's mind-boggling to think what's there. And then all the associated things that go along with it, you know, precognition, um, um, you know, there's uh, uh, the psychic element. Um, I've got to keep going on and on and on. And I'm, I know I'm preaching to the choir here because all of you out there know this. Uh, and and uh, so it, it's sort of an open book. I don't discount anything. I truly don't. I know some people say, oh, if you say something really, you know, extraordinary, you better have extraordinary evidence. Well, nonsense. Sometimes you just don't have not, you know, have that. I believe in what, uh, what Whitley talked about earlier when you mentioned William James, the father of modern psychology. He talked about a radical imperial, empiricism. That's what we need. We need a way for science to open up a little bit more to allow some of this stuff in. 
Yeah, you know that's uh, that's was a theme. Jeffrey Mishlov and I have a converse, had a conversation the other day. It'll be on Dreamland shortly, and that was a very big part of it. That it, it, William James's uh, I, I, ideas are really important here because we have to draw the scientific journey a little bit out of its rigorous concentration on known material because there's material that we don't know or, or understand here. You know, and in fact, the latest issue of The New Scientist, which is a very prestigious British science publication and comes out weekly, and it, its headline is, Is the Universe Conscious? And that's a very uh, big step forward for that to appear in that magazine. And it, the article is an exploration. Most of us here are far beyond in our understanding of where the article is, but at least it's there. And it seems like there's a chink in the armor of conventional empiricism that, that William James's idea of radical empiricism might, might begin to be noticed. But let's go on with some other questions. It is my understanding that the AATIP program's task was to collect data from the phenomenon for the purposes of exploitation. While that is a valuable purpose, that is not a complete intelligence picture. Given the significant overmatch demonstrated by the phenomenon, assessing intentions would have been a critical task and who was responsible for assessing intentions? And that's a really good one because what you must have spoken a lot within ATIP about the intentions of the phenomenon and how we can understand them. Yes, and that is, yeah, it really is another great question. Um, it's, uh, remember this, and, and when you're dealing with national security, uh, and any issue you have with a foreign leader, there's just two critical things you have to keep in mind. And one is intention and one is capability. So you want to know what are the capabilities of, say, the Russians? And then, uh, and more importantly, though, what are their intentions? So they can have atomic weapons, they can have all kinds of things, all kinds of weaponry. But if their intentions are not to use them or, or to use them in a limited fashion, you really like to know that, or their intention is they will use them, uh, you know, if provoked to a certain degree. So, yes, that's very, very important. That was a primary concern of ATIP. Um, and uh, this is what Lou, Lou, uh, Lou had down. Lou is an extremely bright guy. Um, and, uh, and I, you know, when I first met him, I was, I was really taken aback by how smart he was. I mean, he, he left me in the dust a few times. Uh, and, but this is one of his major concerns. Uh, and this is why, you know, people got on ATIP's case for a while saying, why are you, why are you saying this is a bad thing that, you know, these, uh, this, this phenomenon, these UAPs, you know, may be bad. Well, they may be, and we don't know. And, uh, you know, and, and the primary role of government is basically to protect the American people, right? So if you go to the president and you say to the president, uh, we have uh, evidence, uh, you know, that there are UAPs out there and they're basically flying around our, uh, our military exercises or flying over our nuclear air bases and our submarines and, and other things. I mean, the president's going to say, well, what are their intentions? Uh, you, you, if you say you don't know, the first thing he's going to say to you, well, you better find out. And then when he said, what are the capabilities? And you say, well, 
they can do X, Y, and Z, and they're usually an order or two organs magnitude better than what we have. That creates all kinds of problems. You talk about high drama. I mean, we talk about high strangeness with the phenomena, but you want to talk about high drama in government. And and when uh, and this is why I like to tell people. I mean, why the probably another reason why the government didn't want to discuss this. Two two reasons. The first reason is I think uh, this is just me, um, but I think I have a lot of good reasoning backing me up. Is that you can't have the president of the United States, whose primary role is defending the Constitution and the people of the United States, saying on national television that there is something out there that basically can do anything it wants to any one of us, anytime it pleases, and we have no control over it. That's a difficult thing to say, extraordinarily difficult thing to say for any leader whose goal or whose charge is to protect all of us, right? Um, and, And then the second thing is how you think people will react. The mere fact that you're on this phone call with me tells me right away that you are clearly thinking on another level. You, 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 you've either experienced some of this stuff yourself or you're open-minded enough to think that your reality really needs to be expanded and you know something else is out there. That is not how 95% of the world thinks. It just isn't. There have been panels that were put together within the government to discuss this very topic. What would you do if an alien race showed up? Would you announce it? And resoundingly, over, over I think, probably the last 50 or 60 years, the answer was no. And, and these weren't just scientists. Uh, there were a lot of sociologists and psychologists thinking about this. How do you handle that? How do you handle that you're not, you know, at almost to the top of the great chain of being? And I've mentioned this before, this old medieval concept of, you know, you're starting with the lowest animal, lowest life form, and you're going up to God. And, you know, humans are right below the angels or right up with the angels, depending on what your feeling is. And then everything else is below you. Well, what, what happens if now humans aren't quite there? Humans are maybe the third or fourth one down. And then you have these other entities that are on top of us and that basically have more power than they do, uh, than we think, uh, you know, the, that they have. In other words, they're able to basically control our lives. Now, if you, uh, if any of you had an abduction experience or had an experience with, with aliens, you know that they're able to basically what, what John Keel called transmogrify. You know, they're able to change the way you view things. They're able to basically put into your head whatever they want to put into your head. Right? They're able to basically take you and bring you somewhere, even though you're still in the bed, let's say, for instance, you're not you know, transported to a ship, but you're still in the bed, but you still think you were on that ship. They can do anything they want. That is highly dramatic. That is extremely difficult for most people to wrap their arms around, particularly people who were religious and who have this feeling that they'll go to church on Sunday and they have this warm, loving God who is protecting them. But really, in reality, and if you're a realist and a pragmatist, where the hell was he during the Holocaust? Where was he when, you know, Stalin basically killed 20 million people in, in Ukraine? Where was he when Pol Pot killed millions of people in Cambodia? Where was he when all these, or she, I should say, you know, when people are, young children are dying in the cancer wars? I mean, you know, and I'm not saying there is no God. All I'm saying is, that people want to have this. People need to have this protection. And when they don't have this, it create all kinds of havoc. And if you're the head of a government, you got to think twice before you start announcing something like that. My opinion. I, 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 I think that's, a, that's very, very well said. Uh, 
let's go on. Uh, we've got a lot of questions. And can you stay a little longer by any chance? Absolutely. Oh, Absolutely. good, because we've These got are a great lot questions, of- by the way. This is one of your wonderful questions. So yes. Please. Well, yeah. Well, this is I've worked hard on this website to draw people to it who have either had experiences and are articulate about this and open-minded about it, or people who are articulate and open-minded and haven't had experiences but are interested. And it's working pretty well. Uh, you know, we don't go down a lot of a lot of uh, uh, primrose paths on this site. Uh, we we do go down some, and that's only because of the fact that I'm, I, I can be I can be uh, that happens. But one thing I would like to say though, before folks, before we go on, and and this is a, a response to what Jim has just been saying, and it's very important to understand this. This presence can write a novel and put it in your brain as memories it literally can make you think that one group of things has happened when actually something else is the truth and to find that truth inside yourself is a rigorous spiritual journey and the phenomenon may or may not care about that but we can find our truth and it is challenging us to do this, whether it knows it or not. Okay. Here's a, another question. Do you anticipate that the release of additional information will bring about a major shift in the predominant worldview away from materialism, physicalism, and toward a philosophy that embraces an experiential spirituality? such as idealism or panpsychism. Thank you for your service and for taking time to answer some questions. Thank, thank you for a wonderful question. Another great question. Uh, my hope is that will indeed be the case. Uh, um, I, you know, I, I, I uh, like, probably like many of you, I mean, I have to walk away from this uh, for a while. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I sometimes I need a couple of weeks where I just don't deal with this because it's um, something I think about every day. Um, and believe it or not, I don't hang out with, you know, people. My group that I hang out with, you know, a bunch of senior citizens, but none of them have this. I mean, they're not all that interested in this. So it's just really me. You know, even my wife isn't all that interested in this. She's a psychologist. Uh, uh, but, you know, she's interested, but, you know, we can't discuss it. She doesn't read the literature. But there clearly, uh, there clearly needs to be a way out of this Newtonian viewpoint, this, this, you know, this dualism that we grew up with, that was, you know, that over the last, you know, uh, 2000 years, pretty much is, is running, running the way we view the world. Um, we have to open up. We have to get out of this reductionism. And, and basically get into something that, again, you know, this radical empiricism where we have to look at this, uh, look at the spiritual as something that's actually more important than material. I always use this example. You know, if you talk to a quantum, quantum physicist and you sit there and you ask them, uh, are you talking to me or are you talking to an energy pattern? I mean, it's a good question because we are all energy patterns, aren't we? I mean, it's, I think it's the weak nuclear force which sort of holds us all together that makes, you know, Whitley, Whitley and Jim, Jim. 
and John, John and I, you know, I mean, sort of this congealed pattern of, you know, atoms and molecules and what have you. But in reality, what you're looking at, and this is what the hippies used to call, and I was a hippie back in the day. So this is what we used to call awareness, right? You can look at a table where my computer is sitting and you know that that table, you know, was made someplace and then people had to make that table and they got the material that was in the table. And by the way, the, the table is, it might look inanimate, but how could it possibly be inanimate if it's a spinning mass of electrons and protons? It's, it's not, it's, it's, it, everything has, uh, you know, an energy pattern associated to it. And in that energy pattern, I think exists the spiritual. We can't not recognize that. I mean, that has to be part of how we view the world, and how we view one another, and that we are really interconnected. I mean, how could we not be interconnected? Um, Rupert Sheldrake, I know, talks about this, you know, the thought patterns, you know, and uh, he has, you know, a, a cool name for him. I can't remember it. Worth, not morphemes, but something else. But it, but it, it, it's fascinating. I mean, you know, I, I, I like listening to Alan Watts, you know, when I'm, on my free time. If you haven't listened to Alan Watts, he's a wonderful person to, to, to listen to. Um, you know, I was very much into, you know, uh, you know, Christian mysticism and then Eastern mysticism when I was younger. Um, and the Eleusinian mysteries, you know, the idea of, you know, going, uh, going inside yourself where you, you know, go into a cave, but you can go anywhere, you can go inside yourself and basically uh, put yourself into a position where you really have to confront uh, the real, uh, you have to confront what life really truly is. And that is horrifying. I mean, that can be horrifying, but that's what turns you into what Christ would call, you know, a second, uh, second, second birth, a resurrection, right? You come out a completely different person. So maybe, maybe that's what this is all about. In the end, maybe this, this initiation process and that whatever this thing is wants us to go through. I don't know. All I know is it is scary and it does change people sometimes. And then, you know, and Whitley, you know, there's some of our friends, it absolutely devastates and nobody changes. And, and so there's too many questions right now, but yes, I think in the end, what's going to happen is people are actually going to move. That arc is going to happen. People are going to have to do that. And I was telling Whitley earlier, I mean, my my belief isn't that evolution makes us better. I think evolution just changes us and it changes us for the good or the bad. I'm hoping it changes us for the better. And the arc of justice, what Luther King would say, or the, uh, you know, arc of truth is actually expanding and going forward. I I personally think, I feel that that's going to happen. Sorry, that long-winded response. No, no. These are really, really rich answers, Jim. Go ahead and be long-winded. We're in favor of long winded answers it, because these are really complex issues and we're trying all to deal with because you're talking to people who are many of whom are directly involved in this in one way or another. Uh, how do we get away from the assumption that the phenomenon is one thing or has one intent? And that relates to another question. Uh, in a little bit let me get just grab to it yeah are there different species involved are we aware of that at any level yeah wow okay uh in 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 a grand way you can you can look at the phenomenon and you can say it is one thing and you can say it is the phenomena capital p but then you almost immediately have to get into the subsets um there are i think Last time I counted, 26 different types of psychic phenomena, right? Psychometry, you know, clairvoyance, you know, you know, you can go on and on and on. 
um, uh, and there's body experiences, near-death experiences. Uh, there's the work of Michael Newton uh, regarding, you know, life after death, you know, where, where the souls go and where they talk, you know. And that's something that Plato and Socrates talked about, the transmigration of souls. That's what Emerson was really big on that, you know, the one soul, things along those lines. So, yeah, I mean, you know, you have all this stuff that's sort of hanging out there, right? And, and you know, it's all connected. I think everybody innately believes, right? They know this is all connected. But we don't have an ontology. We, we, we don't have a lexicon that's common to this. So it's very, very hard to discuss it. And I was thinking that what some of the UAP task force not too long ago, and I, you know, and I was trying to make that point, is that if you're going to come up with something and you want to make this as reasonable as you possibly can, you're going to have to come down to some basic definitions of what you think this is and start from there. Somebody once made the comment to me, like, you know, we have to learn how to connect with dots. Well, I'm of the opinion that there are no dots. <laughs> I mean, what the hell can you point to with any certainty at all? I can't. I mean, you know, I'm sitting here yakking away at this. And, you know, I'll probably flush my head in the toilet when I'm done with here because I'm just so, it's just too much. It's just, it, 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 you're trying to go in, you know, 20 different directions at one time and come out with something that sounds reasonable. And, uh, and I don't know if we can do that. Uh, I really don't know. And uh, let me get into the other uh, question about species. I remember somebody handed me a copy of uh, Journey to the Planet. What's it? Serpo? Uh, is, that, is that what? Yeah, that's that? right. I've heard. I've, I've read that. And I'm familiar with that story. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not quite sure whether that's just made up or not. I, I don't really know. But, but, but when you talk to experiences, and I've talked to quite a few of them, um, and um, when you, we compare notes, uh, who I saw is more, really a lot different than the grays, a lot different than the tall whites. Uh, Chris Bledsoe, I, I think, a unique form of um, uh, entity that was almost translucent with big red eyes. It reminds me of Charles Hall. Remember Charles Hall wrote these books about his... Yeah, we had. I interviewed Charles Hall on Dreamland. Yeah, and it sounded like his description of what some of these beings were. But when you talk to Chris Bledsoe, he's probably one of the most honest people I've ever met and a true, true, wonderful human being. You know, I mean, and you hear his tale. I mean, it's absolutely frightening, like Whitley's was. And then for him, it completely turned around. But the beings there are all different. Um, and then there's the lady uh, who shows up showed up with Chris and showed up with other people. Who is she? I mean, she's clearly a Marian vision. And when I say Marian, I mean, you know, Blessed Virgin Mary, a form of her. Yeah, if you really read, if you go back and read the historical accounts of Fatima, uh, I mean, Jacques Vallée has done this and so have others. I mean, they, they appear to be Marian visions, but the lady that was showing herself never said she was, the, you know, it was, it, she was the Blessed Virgin Mary. Uh, it was a lady and the, the lady was there. And, and uh, you know, I know NASA is very interested in the lady. I can't say much more than that, but they are. Uh, and uh, and how she, so, you know, Jacques talks a lot about this. He said, it's essentially, uh, if you go back to the 17th century in Scotland or Ireland, you know, in England, and they're talking about fairies and leprechauns and things along those lines. I mean, essentially, it's the same thing as what we're seeing today, just different appearances, right? So um, 
I, I find that fascinating that they, they go, whoever these entities are, they're appearing in different times in different times as different things that we're accustomed to seeing. So if you're a religious person and you're Emanuel Swedenborg, you know, the 18th century Swedish mystic and polymath, and he goes to, he wrote a book called uh, Heaven and Hell, which is absolutely fascinating. And you, and, and, and he goes and meets, he meets Jesus and he meets the angels and they show him heaven and they show him what hell's like. And he sees it in a, in a religious context. But yet, when you have people who have their death experiences, like Evan Alexander, Evan Alexander, I had the pleasure of having lunch with a few times. He, he sees something totally different. There doesn't seem to be a religious aspect associated with this at all. With this at all. So you have, sort of have to look at that, you know, and, and sort of say, well, okay, these images that we're, we're seeing that our brain processes or our consciousness processes, is that just, you know, uh, a reflection? of of uh of what we believe and i think it might be uh i remember john keel talks about the idea of orbs in in general uh or entities how they approach or how they come to you is more of a reflection of how you see them or as much of a reflection of how you see them as in who they are um which i always counsel people you know and people say you know don't shine a flashlight at a, at a uap you know, and people get a kick out of that. But, uh, you know, don't invite them in because you don't know who the hell they are. Uh, they may be wonderful, uh, but you may pick the wrong one. The same thing with a Ouija board. Yeah. Too many <laughs> as I've seen and I've heard of this, you know, you invite the wrong wrong things in, you know, and, uh, and, and you know, what's your arsenal to defeat that? Right. And the, the other thing about inviting them in is I always warn people that they may not leave. You yes. know, and, and I, I'm I'm used to the fact that I live with them. I, I, they're here all the time. I, they show up in this house. In fact, yesterday, yesterday, I mean, it's just a, it, I don't see them very often, but they certainly affect my life in that, that they will wake me up to meditate at three or four o'clock in the morning, every morning. And uh, you have to live, you have to be prepared to live with that. And I am prepared. I made a decision. I would live with it because I think it's, I think it's a, I, I have gotten to a point with my experience that I am with someone who is willing to engage with me in ways that are useful to me. Yeah. Uh, and that was not always the case. Let's yeah. go on to more questions. Uh, have there been discussions about the phenomenon being cognitively aware of the fault lines that exist within and between our institutions? If so, is there reason to believe that the phenomenon has been using the stimulus of presence, coupled with subtle noetic influence, to leverage those fault lines, perhaps with the idea of provoking disclosure? It's a very interesting question. And, you know, you could wow, say, yes. yeah, but go ahead. No, I mean, I, I, um, um, uh, I, I would say it's, it's, it's certainly a distinct possibility. Um, uh, what the phenomenon uses, uh, we're not sure, you know, of their power source. I mean, the, the going concern right now is from people I speak to, some, some physicists and uh, who are associated with the government, some of these government programs, is that, you know, and, and Lewis said this, uh, or he said this to me very early on when I met him at ATIP, was um, uh, that they think 
the the phenomena sort of exist in between the nexus of quantum mechanics and consciousness, right? It, to, which really doesn't say it doesn't help us a lot because we don't understand consciousness at all. Um, I believe it's non-local, but, but we don't understand it because there isn't any there there, right? And you can't explain the science, and when you can't explain the science, scientists get extraordinarily frustrated. Quantum mechanics. They can't explain that either, uh, but they know it's real. But at least you have a box to put that in, right? Consciousness, you don't really have a box to put anything in right there. And, and again, we're, we're missing that lexicon and, and, and what have you. So what, what would these entities be using? I mean, there's always this talk about, you know, they're, they're, uh, we're at vibrational levels and we're at a lower vibrational level. Let's say a tree is much lower than our vibrational level. So time passes much differently for a tree it would for us humans but these are probably vibrating at a much much higher level with the ability to control those vibrational levels and move into our, our reality uh, i mean I, I most people that i know in the government don't believe this is extraterrestrial at all and 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 i sort of lean towards that i'm not 100 convinced that but because that that could it could also be extraterrestrial. I, I, I honestly think it is interdimensional, and um and it has uh because it, it smells of that. I mean, you know, it, it makes the most sense. John Keel talks about paraphysical para, the paraphysical uh, paradigm, and which seems to fit all the evidence that comes in much more so than the extraterrestrial hypothesis. Um, a few people also believe in uh, the ultra terrestrials. The fact that we're living with. And I think Richard Dolan talked a lot about this too, that we're living with a, a group of entities that could be humanoid that are living on this planet that absolutely have extraordinary powers and been here for a long, long, long time. We don't get to see them unless they allow us to see, you know, see them. Now I, I'm drifting off from, um, you know, the, the fault line theory here a little bit, because to be honest with you, I don't know that much about it. I know, and if you're talking about physicality, I do know about ley lines and I do know about these things appearing uh, with, elect, you know, because a lot of it's electromagnetic and they appear along, you know, fault lines, but I don't think that's what the questioner was, was actually talking about. Um, actually, it's, it's a beautiful question because it, it really is a question that functions at a much higher level. I don't know if my, my little head can actually <laughs> go there and make any sense of that, but. It is a wonderful question, head, whoever wrote that, yeah, but I wish yeah. I knew the answer. Uh, you, you mentioned that, Many people in the government are are thinking that it's not really ET that's involved, and the question here is uh, why not? Given that uh, ET could be very advanced in comparison to where we are, uh, why cannot both be true? And wouldn't it be possible that ET might look like something very different simply because of the fact that it could be so far in advance of us? It might look like a, a an intrusion from another reality entirely, or another universe, or something else uh, that we don't even understand yet, simply because it is so far foreign. But in the end, when you got down to where it came from, there would be some world with hills and waterfalls and all of the same sorts of things we have here. Why not? Why not? Well, that's a good question. And, you know, again, I, I, I don't have the answer to that. The only thing I will say is that 
something you know that you said, pick up what you said earlier, that um, if they have the capabilities to basically control what you see and what you experience, they're essentially shapeshifters, right? They have the ability to basically project whatever they want to project uh, for whatever reason they want to project it. Um, so uh, where does that really leave us um, as determining, you know, uh, who's behind the mask? Uh, if those of you who've seen uh, the recent edition of Passport to Magonia, Jacques Vallée's book, um, which is a wonderful book, by the way, uh, highly recommend it. He has a picture on the front cover, you know, of, uh, I think of an alien holding a mask and behind the alien. There's another, you know, an alien behind somebody else. And it's essentially his point being, um, you know, uh, we don't know, you know, it, it, when it visits us or when it comes to see us, it may very well come in a mask. And um, so what is our job? You know, you know it, it's our job to look at it and say, sometimes what I believe is that you're deliberately screwing with me. You have nothing better to do than to screw with me. You, you, you basically come and you show yourself, you cajole, you lie, you, um, uh, you entice, you sometimes tell the truth, you heal, you may inadvertently cause problems, you know, for me or whatever the story is. I mean, there are so many things that you are, but you never go home and meet my parents. You never formally introduce yourself. This makes me very, very angry because when, when people talk about the phenomena, they don't talk about that aspect. It's supposed to be a two-way street. I would hope it would be a two-way street. I mean, you know, it's sort of like religion, right? You know, I mean, this is a one-sided God who comes down, he writes everything down in, in a holy book. He said, you have to do this. And this is my word. And I wrote it down. And do you have to do this, right? Well, okay, you have something then to, to you know, you, you can do that. And you can actually talk you know, to God if you wanted to talk to God. And that's fine. You have a way to do that. You, can, you know. But with this, how do you talk to? I mean, when you ask it for an explanation, it never tells you the explanation. I remember one, one person uh, told me, a lovely man, extremely bright guy, said, you know, he knew that uh, this this alien being of his, you know, announced, you know, they were uh, they were going to announce themselves. They were going to come and, and go uh, land on the United Nations lawn on a certain day. And that information was passed to me. Anybody knows anything about uh, millennialism, you know, and the idea of, uh, you know, religions uh, preaching the end of the world or what have you. It's like, that's why you don't find the Catholic Church doing this very often or at all. And, and but you'll find individual ministers talking about this. The underworld's going to end such and such, such and such. It never does. And it never will. Um, uh, and it's it's, it, you know, it, it, it's a lie perpetrated for a reason I don't understand. But if you looked at it from faith value, really what it is, it's it's a bit of a jokester, isn't it? It's a bit of a. a, a a trickster, uh, and you see that a lot, um, you know, in this phenomenon. You can't ignore that. Uh, you can't ignore the deceitfulness of it um, and how, how what it does to us. And it doesn't give us any warning. Sometimes it just shows up and wreaks havoc. It wreaked havoc on my wife. I am not happy about that. I got zero explanation for that. And I get very, very upset when I think about it. And I wanted an answer, and I don't have one. And it's not giving me any. 
So I treat it very, very lightly. I, you know, I have a friend of mine who's having a problem with orbs right now, showing up outside his house. They are a fantastic example of orbs. I mean, I've never seen orbs this bright and, and doing the old shape-shifting and stuff like that. And one of the questions he asked is, are they dangerous? So I, uh, you know, and, I, and I said, well, first of all, as far as I'm concerned, you know, if you don't know what the hell it is, don't touch it, right? And, 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 and I said, and don't engage it, leave it alone. If it's got a message for you, it, it's incumbent upon that to tell you what the message is. It isn't incumbent upon you to basically go to the orb and say, oh, please tell me who you are. They'll do it if they want to do it, but they're not going to do it. They never do. All they do is create problems. So I asked some friends of mine and, you know, and, you know, some scientists, and I said, what would you tell this person? They said the same thing. You know, it's interesting that they dare take pictures, don't engage. As far as being afraid, don't. Don't project fear. Project whatever the hell you want. Project love, uh, project indifference, uh, but don't project fear. Because they can be reflective sometimes. Sometimes they react to, they're reacting to something that's going on in the house. We have some evidence of that, but we don't, we don't know that for sure. So I always say, you know, walk cautiously among, uh, among the, uh, amongst the phenomena, you know, be respectful, uh, and be deferential. But if, if you're going to engage it, you know, either engage it on your own terms or be willing to accept any risk that goes along with that. There's been numerous examples of people that engage this phenomenon very seriously and did not come out on the winning side at all. They're having hey, the, you're on, there you go. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Uh, if it becomes certain that the human race is not secure or sovereign, always to be manipulated by the phenomenon, what becomes of us? Despair, annihilation, evolution, transcendence? Uh, you know, we only ask very small, simple questions here. Jim, I was so going to say you can deal with that one in two seconds. <laughs> here, here, here's Spinoza when I need him, right? Uh, uh, I, I look at it this way. Um, I have, a, I guess it's a, a feeling more than anything else. And I think feeling is very, very important here. Um, because I, I, cause I don't think, uh, uh, empiricism or science is really going to help us with this. But I think what I think will is, is feeling. And by feeling, I mean, is it, it's a deep understanding that comes with, from within that there is an ultimate good. Um, I believe there is. And I believe this phenomenon uh, is, is generally indifferent. I don't think it's necessarily evil and i don't think it's necessarily good i just think it's just indifferent but i also believe that when we die um i i believe that our soul our spirituality never leaves us and when we go and 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 when we we pass or we transition into something else we transition into love and we transition into something that we see the love we may not be able to get that close to it because maybe we're not as developed. I don't know. It sounds rather like you know, karmic stuff and reincarnation. I don't know. I don't know if that is, but my feeling is that we, 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 we go there, that there has to be that love and you have to have that. So you have to have that because if you don't have that, what are you swimming in? 
you're swimming in muck. And, uh, you know, uh, one of the biggest reasons why young kids commit suicide, um, in my, in my, in my view, beyond all the taunting and, you know, and everything like that, they, they don't see anything ahead of them. They, they just can't see themselves a year or two years, five years, 10 years ahead of them. They don't understand that life at 13 and 14 years old is not life at 18 years old and certainly not life at 25. Everything changes constantly and they're not able to basically pull in that change and say, I know it's not going to last. I know I'm not going to be this way forever. It's actually going to get better. And I do believe things generally get better. You understand more, you're able to take care of yourself better things along the lines. So I think, I think we always have to look forward. If we have nothing else, if you think you're facing a void every day, right? This is classical, you know, staying up late at night with your high school friends or college friends and talking about life and death and whatever. And, and some of the people face this big boy, this blackness, not understanding anything. But you have to basically come down to say to yourself, at least, if this is just what it is, and it's just an experiment, and I am locked into this, I am still truthfully, honestly, an energy pattern. I am a little bundle of light and I'm a bundle of light and I can basically, in psychology, they call this transactional analysis. I can choose every day what my light is going to be. It's going to be a bright light or a dim light. And, you know, and I think we should all choose the bright light. And I think it's, the dim light doesn't get us anywhere. The bright light at least gives us hope and faith. Boy, that sounds like a bunch of gobbledygook. I apologize. No, it doesn't. It's, that's sort it, of what it I actually, it, it, it does not sound like a bunch of gobbledygook. It comes out, it might, you, you, you might feel that, but it comes out very clearly uh, there. Um, let me see there. We got, uh, oh, is there an idea in the government anywhere that a malevolent visitor type may side with a malevolent, a malevolent human group or nation. You know, that gets me back to the sort of unformed stories about the Nazis and flying saucer technology and things like that. And the fact that there were some Tibetan, some people from Tibet who were basically black magicians who were involved with Hitler, who committed group suicide in the chancery right as the war ended. Uh, so something was there. Is, 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 it, could there be a sort of a dark side of this that will seek out the dark side of mankind and try to empower it? There was a group of people in the 60s and 70s. I can't remember the name of the, the British author and he's a younger guy i um, um he, i really enjoy nick nick uh nick uh, not for uh, fern but nick um, redfern redfern yeah he wrote a wonderful book um and uh i can't remember the name and it had a picture like an atom bomb and a devil on it but he it was really about a group he called the collins elite I don't know if you're all familiar with Yeah, that. I think we interviewed I've I've interviewed Nick many times on Dreamland. I, like I, I think he just does a wonderful job. And yeah, yeah, he's he a hit very the nail good. on the head. He hit the nail on the head with that. And these are a group of people 
most of the Air Force, but they were all from, from all different types. There were, there were some from the intelligence agencies and other, I think, agencies. And they were a, a group who basically believed um, that, this, that the phenomenon was generally demonic and that we shouldn't, um, uh, and they were mostly Christians, and, 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 that, and there were some who didn't believe that, but they called themselves a Collins elite. I think they were in Collins, Arizona, or Colorado, wherever it is, and sort of a made-up name, and it doesn't mean anything, but um, they also believed that um, uh, Crowley, uh, the, uh, the magician, what the heck's his name, and Jack Parsons, and and some of these other guys back in the 50s and 60s that you know, went through the ritual, the awakening, I can't remember what it's called. Um, and they released essentially an evil Pandora's box into the world. And, and that's sort of what the phenomenon is. Now, that makes no sense to me at all because the phenomenon has been around forever. And if you read, if you know anything about indigenous culture, at least our indigenous culture, or even Australian indigenous culture, um, you know that this whole idea of, of uh, shapeshifters and, you know, and tricksters has been around for, for eons. So I don't think that was the case. But nevertheless, the Collins Elite actually did think this was uh, demonic. And, um, um, and they actually pressed that case. Uh, and they influenced a lot of senior people in the military um, who, you know, who probably, I think, otherwise would have invested more time and effort into this. And that sort of, and I mentioned this earlier, and that sort of put uh, uh, the kibosh on a lot of the funding that was supposed to go into ATIP in particular. Matter of fact, one of the reasons I met with Lou in ATIP was, you know, um, trying to figure out if I would be able to figure out a new way to fund some more um, funds getting into there. And we were working on that at the time when, uh, when we decided that it wasn't going to go anywhere um, and we decided to take this outside of the government. So here's one that I think is a very interesting one, and we're going to be ending at the bottom at 1230 at uh, Pacific time in 10 minutes. So just so that Jim knows this doesn't go on forever, <laughs> but I, I want to thank you again for a wonderful time together. Um, seems like you are suggesting that we take care of what we choose to hold in our minds, change your mind, change your life, change your thoughts, change your beliefs. Your beliefs can set you free. And the question behind this is, are we in control without perhaps realizing it of how the phenomenon addresses us? I had the experience of many years of very difficult and provocative interactions with it. And after my wife died and returned to me, she guided me into understanding that it was reflective. And this, uh, and this led me to pursue a life that was consciously directed toward the good, toward living the good and understanding what that meant. And I, I, that was why I wrote Jesus a new vision. Uh, so what do you think about this though? Is it reflective or you have a, a wide experience of people who have had uh, uh, in contact now, some of whom have had, uh, have been, on the inside and have experienced this in, in various ways. So how do you react to that? Can we change its re relationship with us at all? 
You know, it, interestingly, before my wife and I had our experience, early 90s, we had an enormous amount of poltergeist activity in our house. Typical poltergeist activity. We lived on a, an old Civil War encampment, you know, outside of Alexandria, Virginia. And you name it, every, you know, when the lights went off in the house, you know, blood started flushing, footsteps, you know, through the hallways, footsteps on the roof. Um, my wife would see, uh, you know, little, little beings, you know, running, running through the house, things along those lines. Um, uh, when my wife, my wife traveled a lot at the time and when she would come back from traveling, uh, an entity would sit on the bed and brush her hair back, uh, and cigarette smoke all the time. Things like that. Cigarette smoke drives me crazy. What is that about? But no, we, 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 not, none of our neighbors spoke and, and, you know, so it was, uh, it was sort of interesting, but what we did was, um, both of us are really easygoing. I mean, easygoing. And we both just chose to just accept it for what it is. And, you know, are the energy patterns that are imprinted on the house or, you know, is it somebody from the other side wanting to give us a message or tell us something? And it would do the oddest things. I mean, I came home one night about two in the morning, picking my bike up at the airport and her slippers, you know, on our stairs, it's precariously balanced, moving back and forth. So you just look at that and go, okay, what are you going to do? It, the, the trick is, is, I think, is, you know, give it as much energy as you want to give it. We didn't give it any energy. We, we basically decided we were going to live with it. It's part of us. It's part of our house. And, and that's okay. And nothing ever happened. My wife did have a seance with some people, some pretty spiritually developed people. And they did ask the spirits, you know. If, if you need to leave, you, you can leave, you know, you don't have to stay. And, and, and some of the, uh, some of the poltergeist activity actually stopped. Um, and then the, uh, the, uh, the quote unquote alien activity uh, sort of ended too, except for one instance about five years ago. And that was a, that was a strange one, but, but um, uh, uh, yeah, I, 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 I wish I can give you an answer, but I, you know, once again, there are no answers in this business. I mean, there's just isn't any. I once started a presentation I did for a small book club uh, and uh, was the only one I ever did. And, and, you know, the first slide I had on there was a question mark. And then the first thing that came out of my mouth, I can't tell you anything. I don't know what the answers are. I, I wish I did. I have conjecture. That's all I have is conjecture based on 35 or 40 years of reading all this material and then experiencing it personally. And then talking with other people about it. Um, so that's my answer, I guess. Um if people are asking if there's any way for them to contact you, and if there isn't, uh, just let me know that. And folks, you can write me at Whitley at Strieber.com and I will transmit it to, to, to Jim. Thus ends our Q&A with Jim Semivan, presented here in its entirety. Uh, next week, we will have a legendary podcaster, psychologist, Jeffrey Mishlove will be on Dreamland talking about the afterlife and the amazing essay that he wrote for the Bigelow Institute's essay contest about the afterlife that won first prize. <laughs> of course, I failed to send in an essay because I got the dates wrong. I'm just too darn busy. But in any case, uh, it's a fabulous essay. It is a deep dive into the afterlife by one of the most brilliant people out there. His new thinking allowed 
podcast and website are not to be missed. So next week, Jeffrey Mishlove, and then we go on down the road. Contact is real. It's coming closer and closer every day. Don't be passive. Get engaged. This is your future looking back at you with a big, great big grin on its face. Don't be afraid. You've been listening to Dreamland. Be sure to tune in again next week. Dreamland is brought to you by UnknownCountry.com and its family of subscribers. Our theme music is The O of Pleasure by Ray Lynch. Unknown Country was founded by Ann Streber. Our news editor is Matthew Frizzell. Our coordinator is Amy Safrankova. Whitley Streber is your Dreamland host. And I'm your announcer, Ted Alexander.